So you're not going to believe what I saw this morning. I've been what? waiting to tell you all day long. Oh, my God. So here you are, Monday morning, driving into work, uh, longest, because we all know I commute forever. Anyhow, so I'm sitting there making my turn on 7th, um, Ab- no, 7th Street. I'm making my turn to McDowell. Uh-huh. McDowell. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, I see this man running while the arrow was on. I'm like, that jackass. I'm like, doesn't he know there's an arrow? And then I'm like, wait, is he naked? And I'm like blinking my eyes really like tight. Because I'm just like, maybe my eyes are blurry. And I look, nope, eye full of junk and, and balls and ass and everything else running, like running across the oh, road. Oh my God. <laughs> Got a little peep show. I did. I was like, what the hell? And I'm like, damn it. I wish I, I wasn't, I wish I paid him attention because he probably... I was probably at the light. If I would have seen him, I would have totally taken a picture to show you and be like, look at this. Oh, my, ha, ha, ha. oh my God. But I feel like that's a downtown thing because yeah. when I used to work downtown, I used to see the weirdest <laughs> shit. I agree. <laughs> On a weekly basis. Definitely. We actually, in that same area, we actually, me and Sergio, for whatever reason, he's like, I'm tired of driving. You're driving. I'm like, fine. So we're getting on the freeway on the same 7th Street to go home. And I see this really, you know, overweight man, short hair and some khakis running without a shirt. And I'm like, oh, someone must be running from the cops. And I'm like, oh, that's not a man. It was a what woman. Was it? it was a woman that was topless oh running God. down the street. And I looked at her and I'm like, that was a girl. And he's like, yeah, it was. <laughs> I was like, I don't know about this corner. As soon as I saw the naked guy naked guy running today, I was thinking about the naked gal that I saw running, well, half naked at least. Oh, my God. I wow. was like, oh, no. We had an exciting Monday morning. I'm like, well, it can't get any better than this. It gave me something to talk about. <laughs> I know. I was like, I gotta tell Alma. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, all day long, I was just like, I gotta tell Alma. I gotta tell Alma. <laughs> I wish I had a good story. <laughs> Girl, I, I could not make this up if I wanted to. I really wish I didn't have the vision that I had in my eyes with bouncing junk all over the place as he's running. But I was like, uh. <laughs> So, I don't know how I'm going to top that one. (laughs) We went up to Fossil Creek this weekend. Nice. That was our... That was our adventure away. Girl, I know. I, I was so sad that I wasn't able to go because I, know. I love it there. I think it's beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful places compared to Havasupai to me, but the drive is just yeah. strenuous. I'm telling you, my anxiety was like an overdrive, and if oh. I could have punched myself in the head to make it stop, <laughs> I would have. I hear you because we um, when we were driving up with Mark, uh, the sun was right in our eyes, oh, so you couldn't yeah. quite tell. Yeah, I think you guys yeah. were right in front of us, and you couldn't quite tell where it ended, and it was freaking me the fuck that out. That was on the way out because it was like dusk. Yeah. And all that dust. The was dust cons- was all over the place and oh girl. Yeah that was that's I, I hate that ride. I told Albert I'd never want to do it again. <laughs> but it's like kind of like childbirth. <laughs> right after Next summer like, I'll forget about it. And I then, hear you. Girl, I hope we can get some Havasupai No, I definitely want to Because that's that. what I would do again. I really want to go past Mooney Falls this time, though, right. if we can. There's still so many other places on our list that we haven't visited. Oh, my goodness, girl. Um, I follow one of these Instagram pages for, like, Arizona, um, like, 
Instagram Arizona or something like that and they show these beautiful hikes and just places that you're like that's in Arizona it right surprised the hell out of me as we want to get this started I'm Yvette I'm Alma and this is Tipsy, Tipsy Tales, Tales. Um, today we're starting with a wine a local wine because our, our stories are half Arizona based maybe three quarters yeah so <laughs> mostly local um so we're actually drinking uh Page Spring Cellars 2017 Mules Mistake it's actually really super light if you look up the description and stuff it's actually a great summer wine they said you could chill it but it would actually take some of the depth out of it so I initially had this chilled because um I had to I had to hide it. <laughs> and so I had had this chilled and I had text, or I am Alma and I was like, look, I know red wine's not supposed to be um, chilled at all, but it was in the refrigerator. She's like, okay, fine. So I'm sitting there putting it between like my, my legs. Not, <laughs> oh, wow. Not this like is that. between your legs? Not like that though, Alma. Between my thighs. Well, that don't sound much better, but... <laughs> Between your pink parts? <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> no. More about that later. <laughs> so anyways, I had it, I'm like trying to stick it up against my, like trying to warm it up, put it in the sun, everything like that on my way in here. And I'm just like, never mind. We're just going to drink it the way it is because this is not the business. But it is really good. So if you it guys is. ever make it's it to yum. Arizona and make it to um, to Page Springs um, Winery, by all means, I think it's amazingly good. So yeah, I've had a few other wines. This one's delicious. Yeah, and again, if I didn't mention, this is called Mule's Mistake, which I think is a funny name to begin with, but there you go. I'm trying to think what kind of a mistake a mule would make. Bad footing? Not something I want to be drinking. (laughs) (laughs) And this is actually pretty good. Oh my God. So since our stories were local and mine kind of delves into um, the Native American culture... Well, I drank a rock star earlier, so <laughs> I got a little ahead of myself and started making fry bread. Oh, yeah. I walked in and Alma's sitting there. She's like, um, I'm making fried bread right now. <laughs> She's looking at me like, okay. Because usually Hands we order. <laughs> usually it's order dinner night or, on podcast night. But <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't bad. I liked it. No, it was actually super, super good. Definitely put pictures in there. You could see the masterpiece that was made. It was very, very good. <laughs> I was supposed. I started my diet today, and I'm all excited. I'm like, I'm dieting. I'm telling Brandy, and I'm like drinking my gallon of water. She's like, me too. I had a smoothie and a salad, and, and then Alma like, the devil. And then I came in, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I can start tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> So, do you want to go first today, or? Sure. I think mine's probably a little bit darker. So Okay. okay so, I don't going? know. All I right. Know, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. So, I'm going to go first this time, even though I know it's almost turn. But, um. It's okay. <laughs> almost like, I'm going to sit back here, drink some um, Mule's Mistake. It's pretty good. I'm going to get real tipsy. Real tipsy. So, anyways, my um, story today is going to be about the baseline killer. Um, as you know, yeah, it was a long one. I did a lot of research in it and it's funny because I remember obviously I'm I'm native from here and we were, we've lived here for a long time and you know, so I remember all this stuff happening. Um, and the people who don't know that summer of 2005 to about 2006, um, was kind of a summer of terror because we had, um, a lot of people being killed, random things being shot. I mean, there wasn't a, there wasn't. Uh, profile on one or the other 
as time goes on, they realize that we not only had one serial killer active, we actually had two. So um, I'm actually focusing on the baseline killer today. Um, it may be a long one, so I'll try to be quickish. But <laughs> there's a lot of info, and again, just me looking at some of this, I didn't, and reading a lot of it, I just didn't, I guess I just, you know, you have kids, and you just didn't pay much attention to right. that. And it's funny, because I don't remember feeling scared either. But I don't think, it wasn't like the way we are now, immersed in social media, and like, everything is like amplified now. Yeah, I agree. The baseline killer, as you know, is, um, is known as Mark Godot. He was born in 1964 in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, as the second youngest of 13 children. His wow. parents were Willie and his mom, Alberta. Both worked here in Arizona, one as a car dealership, and the mom was a maid. They later divorced, although he there's noted saying from the siblings that even though they were born, brought up in a strict household, um, a lot of some of the siblings said it was peaceful. Other siblings stated that the um, house, the father was verbally abusive and alcoholism ran in in their family. So, so while he, Mark Godot was about 12 years old, um, his mother passed away from a stroke. Um, police reports actually note that he had a hard time dealing with her death. So that's that part of it. Others, um, so there's a big, little bit of a difference on here because there's a couple different stories where they said he actually didn't start drinking until he was 23. Others said that around that 12-year-old mark that he um, started abusing cocaine and alcohol at that oh, time. Wow. So it's just okay. different... Different references, um, or resources, I'm sorry, reference different things. So, he didn't graduate high school. He was short a few credits, but dropped out, found employment. Uh, while he was in, found employment, and just started taking his GED classes, like a lot of kids do. Um, on, a, on November 11th, 1982, he was about 18 years old, still in high school at that time. He called over um, Donna Sink. Um, he invited her over. She got to his home. They had a consensual sex. And while she, while they were redressing, his brother actually jumped on this girl. Ew. She started kicking and scratching to get him off of her. Mark turned off the lights, helped his brother remove his pants, and he, um, while he lay still laid on top of her. So at That's that point gross. in time, right? At that point in time, they said that um, they both took turns raping her. How old was he? 18. Oh. So she, uh, for whatever reason, she um, didn't want to prosecute, so no former charges were actually brought against either one of them. So he was already a piece of shit in the making. Yes, 100%. So since then, he had a few runs with police, DUI, trespassing, robberies. So there's not a whole lot of details, not that we really want to go into anyways. So fast forward about eight years. On August 6, 1990... Police were called due to a man beating a woman in a parking lot. When the police found the semi-conscious woman on the floor, it was initially thought that she had a gun wound because there was she was laying in so much blood. They took her, obviously, to the hospital. When she finally came to, she actually told police that Godot hit her with a shotgun and attempted to force cocaine up her nose. She what then reports the being fuck? raped by him. That's what I'm saying. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, so I'm like, so since she reports being raped by him, and then him beating her head up against a barbell, and after that, he threw her in the tub, turned on the water, and then tr attempted to start drowning her. Somehow, she was able to flee half naked into half naked out of the apartment after a witness um, after a witness interrupted him trying to drown her, where he ran over there and fell, uh, followed her while he ran and followed her. Um, she, at the end of the day, and that's when the police were called. He must have been interrupted by other people at that time. Right. Um, 
and so due to the skull fracture and the other injuries that she um that she had she had like brain bruising scarring difficulty walking it's and there's no more stories or follow-up whether she actually recovered this is i mean she actually went to court um for prosecution a couple months later and she couldn't even walk half her body was numb oh my God. um there's just a lot of little injuries she she just simply couldn't have i don't even think she could even drive at that point in time um he his story his side of the story is that she willingly had oral sex with him and that the rape and the assault were the work of two other men yeah, that, that he said that. Um, Did she mention two other men? No, she specifically said in the police report that it was only it was only him that was beating her. Hell, uh, no, believe me, girl, I'm just like, what the hell? So our great state of Arizona um, decided to plea bargain with him. Okay, to three counts of aggravated assault, but with the stipulation that the dangerous would be dropped at the sentencing um, against his defendant who practically killed a woman. They're like, yeah, we'll go ahead and drop that as part of this plea deal, right? So while he's waiting, <laughs> girl, while he's seriously waiting wow. to be arraigned and um, and and given his you know his time or whatever. The, sorry, when he was waiting to be arraigned for this actual crime, he actually robbed a fry supermarket on 30th, 30th Street and Thomas Road, held up two female clerks with a silver handgun, not unlike the weapons described much later by a lot of his victims. Um, he tells one of the one of the um, clerks there, "If you know what's good for you, you'll come with me." Um, putting a gun at one of the women's head. So she did as she was told, leaving the store briefly with with her assailant, who grabbed more than five hundred dollars and put it into a fries paper brown bag. So he fled. He fled without harming the woman, but passerby's alerted Phoenix to the make, model, and license plate of his vehicle. Investigators soon tracked him down. He denied everything. Everything. However, the police found a paper bag. Fry's paper money. bag with the five hundred dollars in it. So I'm just like, when I'm reading this, I'm just like, what the fuck? How is? What the hell? So, okay. So, right around this time where he actually, just to kind of rewind a little bit, while he was this time while he was actually um, convicted of beating this girl, he was actually um, living with his then girlfriend of like over two years. Um, They had been dating, yeah, been living at her house, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, So, during this time (laughs) that he, during the time that he actually um, brutally beat this poor woman to death, but to death, but beat her you know almost to death within an inch of her life exactly um he had been living with his living girlfriend there for two years when he got so he actually got convicted of of both those crimes the robbery and the assault but he only got 15 years for the assault he got 21 years for the theft are you serious five hundred dollars yeah i was just like so after being a model inmate, after 13 years, guess who gets paroled in 2004? And so he moves into a house with his girlfriend because she still loved him, still married him while he was in prison. So they moved into a house close to Baseline Road. So I was like, fabulous. I didn't know there there was all that background. Neither did I until I started actually going through it and I was like, oh my God. Because I... You hear bits and pieces of it, especially when you're busy. You're not always watching the news or whatever the case may be. And again, I do remember this kind of vaguely in Sergio mentioning it. Um, but it wasn't something that I was like tuned into and reading every detail. And right. until I was doing the research for this, it was just like, okay. Wow. So in August 2005, um, 
like I mentioned before, it was a scary time for us. We had, you know, pretty much we're terrorized for the next, you know, year to 15 months. Um, a lot of the crimes that were happening, whether it be the rapes, the shootings, um, they all thought were isolated at first. Um, they spanned multiple jurisdictions. So they were like in Buckeye, they were in Tolleson, they were just um, in the Arcadia area. They were just all over the place. I do remember that. So um, as it was, and like I mentioned, as, the, as time went on, the police did realize that there were two separate serial killers out there killing people. So although those crimes weren't initially linked, um, they said that Goudot actually had no, there was no profile on him. They couldn't, dis- he didn't have any distinction because he had no apparent motive. Although now the crimes were all initially linked, um, he, they said that he didn't have any distinct, he didn't have any specific motive in why he was doing a lot of these crimes. Right. Looking back, of course, because again, you got to realize is that our Phoenix police were just completely overwhelmed. They put, God, thousands and thousands of hours into just finding they had tips. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was a massive, massive investigation. So and we're the, not like California. We don't have like serial killers like every no, other well, week. Well, we're not even that big. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> we're not that even that big. That we're going to have, you know, we have serial killers or, or that there's a big Not that we don't have right. them, but it's not like. No, we're just not a big. Well, I guess we are. From what I read is that we're actually becoming a very big city, but I just feel like when you look at Los Angeles, now that's a big city. Right. Or you look at, say, New York, or you see something to the effect where they're just bigger, a lot more people. And I just don't feel like Phoenix is like that, but apparently we have all kinds. <laughs> well, we got naked people running oh, around Oh my God, streets. that was not the business this morning. <laughs> Okay, so um, initially he was called the uh, initially he was called the baseline rapist. One of his first crimes took um, place on October 6, thousand five, when three young girls, um, one of them being as young as twelve, were held by gunpoint behind a church. Two of them were sexually assaulted, and in this church that these girls were raped at were was a church on Baseline. Um, so the church was near Baseline Road. His crimes later sp- later spread primarily in the north central area of phoenix he evolved into the baseline killer in the spring of 2006 after investigators began to link a series of murders and armed robberies to this rapist so it just like i said it's he's it's i mean just listen it's just it's huge it's bigger than what i initially thought and it went on a lot lot longer than i thought as well i remember the composite drawing on that the comes news. into play too yeah, I'm, I do remember that. And then when they finally caught him and you saw them side by side, I was like, wow. You see, yeah, you see the resemblance. So, um, so he did, he, so he did that in 2000, um, on August 6, 2005, 10 days later, there was another unnamed victim who was raped and robbed. September 9, 2005, 19 year old Georgia Thompson's body was found in Tempe. Um, there was a bullet to her head. Um, her keys were still in her hand, and most and like most victims, her pants for some reason like there was a thing where the pants were kind of slightly unzipped, but they hadn't been raped. So I'm not sure. One of the things that I had read, and I can't tell you what resource I found it because I've read so many different ones, is that they said that he would actually threaten them, saying "Do this" or whatever the case may be. Well, I'll bring up in another part of the of the story, and if they didn't, he would he would shoot them. From what it goes. So that's kind of one of the survivor stories. But so um, six days later, there's another sexual assault. Um, five more days. Um, on September 20th, 2005, two sisters in their 20s were walking around a playground 
walking around a water fountain um, around Baseline, the south side of Phoenix, and they were forced into a bush, bushes at gunpoint, ordered to the ground and forced to disrobe. One of the sisters was six months pregnant. So the assailant tried several times to have intercourse with the younger sister, who was not pregnant, but he couldn't stay erect. So he fumbled, his family fun was fumbling around with the condom. He told the women not to look at him, but once his sister noticed that he had put the gun down, she grabbed it and tried to shoot him, um, but couldn't figure out how to fire it. Um, the attacker wrestled with her, and the other sister seized the gun, although she couldn't figure out how to fire it oh either. God. So the attacker got the gun back, touched it between the pregnant girl's legs, and he ordered her to beg for her own life and the life of her unborn child, is what the testimony was. He then um, decided to let them live, but first he made both women spit into his hands, stirred it in the mud, and rubbed the mess on the breast of the sister he tried to rape and attempt to cover up the DNA. Like I said, so this one, some stories say that tried, the other said that he did rape the younger sister. Right. So like I said, that, like I said, I hope to God that it's more the fact that he didn't, just right. because that's awful for anybody. Um, September 28th, robbery. Robbery, September 28th, the same day, he um, combined sexual assault and robbery. Jumps up a couple months. A robbery occurred on, on a robbery occurred on North 32nd Street. A man with dreadlocks and a fisherman's hat walked into a shop, robbed it at gunpoint for less than $720. Ten minutes later, he abducted a woman placing items in a parking lot donation receptacle across the street. He sexually assaulted her in her car and demanded she drive into the corner because he had just committed that robbery. Oh my god. Um, the victim said that he wore a Halloween costume and black sunglasses. Fast forward four more days. Um, three separate robberies. Um, looks like there were four people held up at gunpoint at a Mexican restaurant and then he went next door to a pizza joint, robbed three people inside there. Immediately proceeding the pizza robbery, he robbed four more people outside in the street. Apparently he stole about $436 and fired a round into the air when he left, which is how they actually linked him to a lot of these crimes. Good. So, well, they actually linked they actually linked those crimes because of those ballistics on that actual bullet. Fast forward a month, December 12, um, there was another homicide. Tina Washington, 39, was on her way home from preschool where she worked. A witness spotted a man with a with a drawn gun while well, a drawn gun standing over her body behind a fast food restaurant. She had been shot in the head. I remember that this was a, during the time where it was just like on the news, on the news, and everybody was like waiting for something else to happen. Yeah, and it did. And yeah, like I said, but it was just, like I said, it was such a confusing time because it was two separate serial murders going at that time. So a lot of these references, they kind of intertwine um, with, with both stories at that same time. Okay, so then they have another woman being robbed on December 13th. Um, there's also another unknown timeline, which a lot of these things have, um, they don't have any identities to some of the people that were victims for obvious reasons. One of them was saying that a mother and her daughter were carjacked. He molested the daughter the daughter while the mom drove and he had held a gun to her head god so and you think it's be done right but it's not on february 20th um the bodies of 38 year old romela vargas and 34 year old mina palma roma were shot were found shot to death inside their snack truck on 91st avenue and, and lower buckeye road Initially, police did not connect this crime to the baseline killer and believed the murders were drug-related. The murders were officially linked by the police ballistically on July 2006. Holy shit. 
Month later, double homicide was discovered at Yoshi's on 24th Street. Two young employees um, at that restaurant were on their way home in the same vehicle, um, were found dead in the parking lot of another fast food restaurant while the body of Chow Kao Chow was discovered a mile away. Both victims were shot in the head. March 29th, because again, looks yeah, so um, it doesn't stop. It doesn't. Um, a body was covered. I'm sorry. A body was discovered on North 24th Street. Lo- this is what I found crazy is that a local the business down there actually saw found like streaks of blood on the floor. So he calls the police. They search, can't find anything. Um, so then he, but he keeps smelling a foul smell at this point in time because we're in Arizona and anybody who knows that we're in Arizona, even though it's March, it's hot. It gets not like 120 summer hot, but it's still warm. Ugh. So a week later, he, the businessman who initially called the police found the body badly decomposing, decomposing um, and she had actually been shot in the head and stuffed between like a... Um, she actually stepped between like a a building and like a, a dumpster, I think is what it was. Was he like still in a relationship during this time? Was yeah. he married? Yeah, that was one of the things I thought. I yeah, remembered. well, that's what I said. That that how do you that find woman... the time to? Then that's and now we'll get to that here in a second. I'm sorry. I'm like that's okay, girl. That's a valid <laughs> questions. I I thought that same thing. I was just like what? And I didn't like I said just reading these and the reason why I'm putting dates to them is simply because to show you how many. Right. Because I was fabricated in regards to how many people were actually murdered by this scumbag. Um, so anyways, April 10th, which is another like what, 11 days afterwards, um, Sofia Nunez, 37, who personally knew him, was found shot to death at close range in her in her bathroom in, in her West Phoenix home. Her eight-year-old boy found her after oh. coming home from school. I thought it was like, oh... I mean, it's sad enough that she died, but it's having to having to have that for the rest of his life is just awful. Um, May first, um, this is May first. Godot forced a woman at gunpoint to drive a few miles north to a residential area. He told her he had robbed a fries a fry store on thirtieth on thirtieth Street in Thomas, which is you know way back before when he that one that he was actually convicted of. Um, when he made her disrobe. Still seated in her blue VW Wug, she testified, he asked me to touch myself. At that point, I realized I was going to be raped and I was afraid to die. And then he said, suck my dick. And he was, um, and he was going to kill me if I didn't. I said, go ahead and kill me. He said he was going to blow my brains out in the car and my parents were going to read about it in the newspaper the next day. He pulled the trigger and there was a loud clinking noise. I realized that I wasn't dead, so I got out of my re- vehicle and ran. And that's actually on court document testimony as well. So, oh push forward. Oh my God. Right? Can you imagine that? It's and like on you top have of no that, way. she refused. She's like, fuck you, motherfucker. I don't care. Shoot me. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. That's all I can even say, girl. I have no even words in order to describe the shitbag that this guy is. So, May 5th, um, which is four more days later. Police went public with a list of 18 crimes that they had believed were the work of the baseline killer. This number has since risen to 23 as of August 2nd, 2006. So as a baseline killer body count mounted in early 2006, police um, created a task force assigning several seasoned detectives and more than 100 street officers to the case full time. So it was, like I said, they put as much as they could into it. 
um, in early 2006, the cop, the cop, the police decided to go public with a composite sketch that combined the independent recollections of the two victims from the November 3rd, um, 2005, and then that, well, let's try again. Also in 2006, the cops decided to go public with a composite sketch that was given to them by one of the victims. Um, it was it was a man with a dreadlock wig wearing a fisherman's hat, and he had held up a um, store on he held up a store on Thirty Second Street in a laundry store in Thirty Second Street in Indian School. This was this was still him. Yeah. So immediately afterwards, um, he forced a young woman, that same night that that all came out, he forced a young woman to drive him out of the area, nabbed her as she was drop as she was dropping off clothes in her in a donation bin. So it, this woman actually went along with the sexual with the sexual demands, which you know what I mean, it probably saved her life, I'm sure. Um, his DNA was later identified on swabs taken from her body that night amongst other evidence. The composite uh, sketch skipped a round-faced man with a thin mustache, dreadlocks, floppy hat. You know the you know the sketch. Right. Um, so, behind the scenes, uh, F- Phoenix police seemed stalled on an all-important forensic fronts. So, the ba- the baseline task force detective became increasingly vocal as summer approached in their insistence that any DNA evidence had to get processed with greater urgency. So there's a bunch of little things here that I kind of had printed out, but what it came down to is that the, I believe it was the state's, the state's um, DNA research and labs were just much more um, newer, cutting edge compared to the Phoenix, uh, the city's actual labs. So from what I understand is that they actually held on to some of the DNA swabs for months before it was actually looked at and when they actually did find it it was the dna was on the one of the, on the right breast of the south phoenix sisters um but the phoenix lab test concluded it wasn't a sufficient sample to identify a suspect through national or state dna linked databases so then they sent it to the state lab um I'm sorry. So the Phoenix lab also chose not to test a swab from the woman's left breast, which had been covered with dirt and the rapist, um, the rapist made the older sister spit in it. Remember? And they kind of swabbed it over the place. And, um, I know. (sighs) And apparently an effort to get rid of his own DNA, the untested swab sat in the refrigerator. Again, it's just sat there for months. So between point a and point b ballistic on the ballistic fronts it was just advancing so in june 2006 um police um police officer uh, danny hamilton linked the shell linked the shell casings in the tina washington crime scene to those found at the other baseline scenes he discovered that the shell casings from the washington murder matched those found at the scenes of the george thompson murder on september 2005 2005 in tempe so when they not that his they thought his initial crime was raping those little girls behind a church when in reality when they all said the ballistics and stuff and they started actually putting things together um they noticed that actually she was her first victim the the georgia thomas um yeah so that's the yeah so that's how they did that um so by the summer 2006 the task force had compiled a list of more than 100 convicted sex offenders who believed in a general vicinity of where the baseline killer was actually striking. In the end, nine baseline crimes occurred within three miles of Godot's home. 
Lots of tips, lots of tips, um, but li- but little of substance was coming their way, and the thinking was to look hard at each of the ex-cons, um, at least a long shot potential, but they has a long shot, but they just had to go through and investigate. But surprisingly or not, Mark Godot wasn't registered as a sex offender. I have no idea why. Oh, because what? they did that plea deal. They they plea dealed him with him um, on aggravated assault, and the young girl back in high school refused to press charges. Are you serious? Yeah. So, yeah. So How his did they, they even get away with that? That's... Girl, you're asking me. Oh my god! <laughs> Believe me, I think I, I think it's a bunch. But you gotta realize, girls, that a lot of for a long, long, long time into the '80s, a part of the '90s, a lot of I mean, I shouldn't say they didn't think, but they didn't prosecute people for rape like they do now. Right. Do you know what I mean? It was a oh three year sentence, five year sentence. I mean, you literally have destroyed somebody's life. They will always feel wary. They'll never have that same confidence of being safe. Because some man decided to destroy that. Exactly. So, as things were getting more positive, like I said, on the ballistic front, let's see here, I lost my page. Okay. Uh, uh, uh. So, he struck again, and apparently for the final time before his capture. On June 29, 2006, um, he approached 37-year-old Carmen Miranda as she was about to vacuum her car at a self-car wash on the north side of 29th Street in Thomas. Miranda and her boyfriend were actually talking on the cell phones. He heard her scream as Godot overpowered her with his fist. He took the wheel, uh, his, took the wheel of the car and soon parked a few hundred yards behind a barber shop where he shot her in the forehead, leaving her body sprawled out in the back seat, her eyes wide open in death. God, and her boyfriend had to hear that? Yeah. Um, she had actually, the the boyfriend's testimony was that she had actually told the boyfriend that a panhandler was approaching her. She screamed and the phone went dead. Um, her boyfriend called the police and then he called the sons and they all raced over there. But she was gone. Um, there was surveillance camera at the car wash. Police woke the owner up late at night to get it. But because it was so grainy, um, but they actually captured the whole carjacking on tape, but it was so grainy that they really couldn't. They couldn't a face. A face look anything. They couldn't just get any, any sort of description at all. So, side note, um, looks like they're you know who Dubose is the basis for the and in and for the medium show, ABC um, NBA, NBC medium show. Remember that at all? Oh, I do remember. Okay. I do remember her. So she, uh, I'm not sure Dubose because I don't have their first name here. I probably Dubois. just cut it off. Dubois. There you go. Dubose. Dubois. Yeah. I'm me and these French names, girl. Alison Dubois. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Um, she had actually put, uh, sent in a tip stating that the killer had long hair, and um, he was a ju- he, he had long hair and a long juvenile record, and he wasn't from the Phoenix area at all. So obviously she was wrong. But with that, <laughs> well, well, so um, much for that, right? I'm just saying. <laughs> so they said that over about 7,000 tips from the public to Phoenix police station about the baseline killer case. One of the tips came, this is where it gets a little, like I said, depending on what you're reading. Um, one of the tips came to the cop through a state prison investigation on july 14th 2006 he informed the task force that the that the woman who had seen the composite sketch of the man with the you know the the sketch the man had dreadlocks and that she knew who he was and that he was mark godot the victim um they said was the was the gal that he had officially assaulted and they had actually got prison sentenced for 
So other sources say that it wasn't her, that it was his parole officer who recognized the composite sketch. So you never know which was which. Either um, way. Either way. figured it out. Exactly. Which I was hoping, which again, like I said, one of the um, references that I was using, I think it was the Phoenix um, New Times. I think they had said that that gal actually ended up getting the $100,000 reward for identifying him. Really? Whether oh. that's true or not, I couldn't say. I just hope to God it is because of the injuries that he she sustained from his fucking... I don't know, in- like, when you saw the sketch and you saw his picture, it was like... How did somebody not recognize him sooner? Because they had that sprawled across the TV for like Girl, they had on billboards, months. like right next to, right there on 7th Street and um, Indian School. They had billboards. I mean, the police were doing everything they can, but you know what I mean? If they're not, you know, they they just weren't catching a break at that point right. in time. Um, so, yeah, so they took the tip serious. They put, they started surveilling him pretty quickly after that. Um, they said that they went... They knocked on his door a few weeks later. Um, he, Godot, voluntarily said, hey, you know, I'll go ahead and give you my DNA because a parole officer had asked him for it um, and fingerprints. Um, they said that they talked for about a half hour, didn't notice, didn't notice anything in plain view or pain sight that would actually cause them to need a search warrant to search his home. Mm-hmm. Um, August 2006, police sent a list of 75 possible baseline suspects to the state crime lab. The list included included top priority aggressive wow well, the list included top priority investigative leaves they had overcome they had coming up in the past few months of those 20 oh, those 75 men about 30 were ex-cons whose DNA profiles would be available in the state database um, and then they said one of the convicts that they're looking at was Mark Godot because he lived within the area so after a year um, like I said, after a year, they sent those swabs out. Um, after a year. After a year of those, of those young two after girls. After a fucking year. year. Yep. Girl, you'd be While surprised was going how on. much backlog. Well, I don't think they actually realized that that was part of the oh, okay. baseline rape, you know, or the rapist or the killer. I don't it think was they just in a file somewhere. This yeah. needs to be processed. Yeah, but girl, even a year. Do you know what I mean? That backlog is amazing. I, I just... If, I'm just like I just can't even believe that do you know what I mean it just makes you want to barf but anyways um so the this is where it's a little bit gets confusing so you might have to help me out with a little bit of this so the swabs were analyzed for both of the younger sisters breasts what they found wasn't considered identifiable DNA um both on the previous untested left breast and the already tested right breast um However, they utilized both a new, well-established testing protocol that looked for all the genetic material and a newer procedure that detects only male chromosome, a DNA fingerprint inherited from fathers. So the uh, Phoenix police crime didn't have a newer newer procedure in place yet, but that's how they ended. At the end of the day, with the state taking over, um, their lab taking over, they were able to use that new system and be able to identify that out of the DNA swaps. So the September 6th, Phoenix police arrested Godot without incident in front of his home in 2007. Um, he was convicted. He was convicted of the attacks on the two si- on the two sisters and sentenced to 438 years. Okay. 
So about eight months into a sentence, um, at that point in time, they actually had tried. They actually um, charged him with the baseline baseline crimes. Um, they stated that they stated that he had incriminating evidence. Wow, let's try that again. I'm like, sorry, I'm just like because it's a super <laughs> long story, so I apologize. It's okay. Um, it's okay. It's okay. So, anyways. Um, Okay, so they, they said they had a bunch of incriminating evidence, which I actually kind of find strange, and I'm going to kind of know a little bit off what I'm reading here. So I guess the initial, um, the initial, um, wow, paper, search your home, search warrant, let's try uh-huh. that again. <laughs> so the initial search warrant, they actually went into his home, and they actually had found some white sneakers, um, because, and they were focusing on whack and whack. <laughs> This is not a funny story, but I just I just cannot speak. I apparently have been drinking a little bit of wine, so they went and they seized a pair of his white Nike sneakers. Um, They were focused on that because that's what during the interviews this is what the victims were saying that he was wearing. Right. Um, Forensic testing between um, September and October searches revealed that the DNA from two of Godot's murder victims had remained on one of his sneakers, which they pretty much thought. But since he was uh, shooting people close range, they felt that he would have some oversplash and there'd have to be some sort of DNA somehow on his clothes, his shoes, whatever the case may be. But they actually went into the first, um, the first time with the search warrant and only took some of his shoes. Why? Oh God, I have all of his shoes. That's what I'm saying. So he's not going to need them. So the lead detective on the, on the baseline killer case was not happy. He was like, what the hell that they had, he was upset that he hadn't taken all the shoes. Um, and so, so anyways, they, so they actually take another search warrant um, and take a second run at his, at his house. And this time they collected every pair of his shoes, which they said he had a huge collection. They said enough for 10 men. Now I'm a girl. So I don't know what a huge shoe collection <laughs> is. But I have like, at one moment in time, probably at my highest, I had like 35 pairs of tennis shoes. Now, we'll that, was that, that was just tennis shoes. That was just tennis shoes, yes. Now, <laughs> is that enough for 10 women or 35? I don't know. But I'm just saying, I don't know how what they what they mean by this. But he is must it have, ten I shoes, mean, for twelve a man, shoes, he must twenty have had shoes? A lot. Yeah. So either way, so um, as they, it's, it's okay. So at this point in time, um, at one point during the search, um, the detective reached for a brown pair of leather shoes. As as he picked up one of the shoes, a small Ziploc bag with some jewelry came sliding out. Out of the shoe. Out of the shoe. Um, he knelt openly careful the bag held it up and it was a multicolored ring and a bracelet and a few other trinkets a key member of the of the task force he knew that the family of the baseline killer tina washington had reported that specifically being missing because they it looks like they had actually bought it a few months for her a few months earlier for her and they had um, her son's name engraved oh wow so um so yeah so I guess so that was one of the things how they they also nailed the evidence yeah so he at this point is denying all murders all the charges he's saying that his wife told the the police that this is my husband's innocent this is a huge carriage of miscarriage of adjustment um, and they have an innocent justice, justice sure <laughs> Sorry, tipsy. Sorry, let's try that again. So, huge miscarriage of justice. (laughs) And they have an innocent man in prison. um, That this is all a mistake. He shouldn't be in prison. He didn't do it. 
Um, she also insisted that the police, what the, that the police were making, Phoenix police, it was a big lie, that they planted all the damning evidence to frame her um, and to grab the glory of, of solving one of the Arizona's biggest um, serial killers. Um, friends and family of his denied any possibility that he could be the baseline killer, saying he was framed by Phoenix police um, who were desperate for a suspect. So in court, his defense raised, his defense team raised little to jurors. I mean, because he's already been to prison for something similar. Nothing like that, so right, I, right? Would ever think that? Yeah, he'd be responsible for something like he's that. He's a right? model citizen. <laughs> so um, his, you know, defense team was like, it was the most sloppy, negligent search in history of law enforcement. So there's no way that they didn't see the ring on that first search that was there. Um, Somebody must have entered his house after September 6th and put it there. His defense attorney kept reminding the jurors that the prosecutors will hang their hat on DNA and a large, in large part, that's exactly what they did, which is kind of an interesting concept. Um, not that I believe it for a bit, but at the same time, we'll get there. So um, he, the lawyers also reminded the panel, you have not heard the defense case on this. Once again, we will challenge the DNA but they didn't. They called no witness. They didn't try to refute the DNA testimony. A prosecution witness, in fact, um, not pr- pretty much not presenting a defense case at all. Okay, so they're saying that you know scientifically that the case wouldn't have been as strong as strong against him had it been a few years ago because there was such leaps and advances in regards to DNA um, uh, years beforehand because the technology just simply wasn't there. Right. Um, the Ziploc bag would become Exhibit 29th in his case and a dream piece of evidence for prosecution in the case. I bet. Which the which the police um, did recover, but however, they never recovered the, the murder weapon. So a thirty a thirty three caliber semi automatic, out of that whole thing. So I threw it in the lake. Yeah. Um, the jury on October thirty first returned a guilty verdict verdicts on sixty seven of the seventy two charges against Godot, including all all nine first first degree murder counts. He was sentenced to death, and he continues to appeal up to this day. Good. So, not good that he continues to appeal, but but yeah, that sentenced they, they to were death. Like, Bye. Throw away the key. Exactly. So here's now just to play a little bit of devil's advocate. I, I'm sorry, I have like a bunch of pages here. So anyway, so to play a little bit of devil's advocate, I'm gonna read you a couple facts that supposedly weren't released to the public. Okay. So they said that DNA evidence was a mixture of three donors in which any number of thousands of men in the geographical area could not be excluded. Okay. DNA profile extracted from the evidence did not in fact generate a hit in the database, though Mark Goudot's profile existed in the database. That's weird. Uh, Mark Goudot's name was given in writing to a DNA analyst who then fished his profile from the system and then um, attempted to make a match without a data, without database assistance. Hmm. Uh, Mark Goudot's DNA was a partial match three out of 13 loci and the state's DNA experts stated a testimony in testimony that the DNA could not have come from anyone other than Mark Goudot, although the same expert stated in another trial that based on DNA match nine out of 13 loci, she could neither include or exclude him as a donor. So anyways, um, this analyst lied on stand about how she came upon Mark Goudot's identity, identity later, um, proven later in court after his trial, grossly exaggerated her numbers of the possibility 
possibility and calculations and methods that are not accepted by scientific community in regards to DNA. Wow. Um, the same DNA's expert used similar tactics in other cases, and even the prosecutor saw the negligence and removed that same technician from her court. From that expert, I'm sorry, not technician. Sorry, technicians out there, from court proceedings, nearly resulting in a mistrial when the defense appealed appealed uh, to the judge. The DNA evidence was completely used up in the state, for, used up by the state, and the defense never had an opportunity to test it independently. DNA was the only evidence in this case, and the state's charges would have been should have been dropped. The state then came back with witness identifications from two victims who had previously not been able to identify their attacker, allowing the case to proceed in court. Um, after trial, the jury foreman told a reporter that without the DNA testimony, they would have had to return a verdict of not guilty. The two victims of sexual assault in the trial never identified a Mark Godot outside of court. Wow. Um, the victims were shown a lineup in which Mark huh. Godot was included and failed to pick him out. Interesting. The victims identified four other men in four lineups prior to trial, which I'm not sure if you know this or not, but they say that like eyewitness testimony is like one of the most, um, um, what's the word I'm looking I Wow, I'm a lost forge right now. Unreliable. Unreliable. That's exactly. Well, thank you, Alma. <laughs> Fish tastes good. <laughs> Line tastes whatever. Every so, once in a while. <laughs> so they were saying that, um, that it's very unreliable. The victim saw Mark Goudot's image on TV several times after his arrest and other crimes and never made mention of him being the attacker to anyone, including therapist, boyfriend, family, or each other. In court, one victim was asked if she recognized her attacker and the attacker as being present in the courtroom. She said, I think so, and was asked to point him out. She identified Mark Goudot's own attorney as her attacker. The blunder was outweighed by the DNA evidence presented at the state and the, when the jury deliberated. The okay. victims were offered $1,100 per month for a period of a year or more for which their test for their testimony disguised as money to relocate for safety purposes, um, in which one victim, the one who pointed out the attorney, accepted. They were saying that a more likely suspect of the crimes attributed to the baseline killer they thought was a completely different man, Terry Wayne Smith. He had been found in the area of many of these crimes at the time that they were committed. Terry Smith has um, Smith ties has look, Terry Smith had ties to the area and had been reported by witnesses to police and uh, to police. Eleven eleven hours after one horrific crime attributed to the baseline killer, Terry Wayne Smith was reported to police by people at a bus stop in a nearby area because he was acting aggressively and talking about how many people he's killed. A police officer responded and documented the encounter. In the area where four other victims were found dead, Terry Wayne Smith was interrogated by interrogated by police on three occasions for following women around the stores and parking lots. Okay. Right? So, so do they have the right guy or not? That's just it. And says um another the he's also served time for armed robbery that paralyzed one of the crimes that Mark Godot was accused of. Both crimes were armed robberies of people who were alone at your do it your do two of those little do it yourself car washes. Um, the crimes were not only similar but almost identical. The only difference is the crime attributed to the baseline killer resulted in a murder. Um, twice within 24 hours of this guy being released from jail, a murder was committed just blocks from where this man was living. And these murders were also attributed to the baseline killer. 
Uh, two days after his, uh, Mark Godot's arrest, um, he had actually held his own family hostage and was arrested. He this, is the other guy, not Mark Godot. The other guy. Uh, yes. Yeah. He was arrested. Yeah. He was arrested, I think, two days after Mark Godot was actually arrested. Okay. So then um, Terry Smith's mother hinted to police that she felt her son was a perpetrator perpetrator of the rapes and murders um, that Mark Godot was arrested for and said that on at least two occasions... Her son, her son had come home with blood on his clothes. He also told police that she was, he was a sexual deviant, stating he masturbated in front of the family a few times and was violent. The map that marks the locations of crime attributed to the baseline killer and the places where Terry Wayne Smith was proven, proven to be living or questioned by police for seemingly unrelated issues shows shows Terry Smith to be near the scenes of 14 of the crimes in close succession to the times that they were committed. He is also a murder suspect in other cases here in Arizona and in California and has served time for violent crimes and armed robberies. So I report about Terry Wayne Smith and his suspicions of him being a viable suspect was put together by an officer at that time. Marco Gudo was arrested. The report was disregarded by the task force that was handling the crimes because they felt they already had the right guy. The officer was told by a superior to file his report in the Microsoft Word word format rather than the standard police automated computer entry system system was a which was a departure from police protocol what the hell right are you serious Mm -hmm. so this shady that isn't that's 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 my thing so um i felt that same way like it made me like okay so he's in jail but the first two crimes are pretty fucked up so i i mean i don't know how i feel about this to be real honest with you um this means that, okay, so that, so without him put, putting it into this Microsoft rather than the way they normally um, procedurally put in these reports, right. um, that, that because he, this report was not filed that way, that means that the cases couldn't be attributed to the baseline killer. I'm not sure if I wrote that right. Um, a Word document, the, the, as a Word document, the report wasn't available for public records requested and the fence could not afford the opportunity to know about Terry Wayne Smith at the time of his trial. I bet. Um, he, Smith, was um, incarcerated for unrelated crimes. He is scheduled to be released into our community. And, of course, this is an old, um, this is a very old, um, ref, um, blah, 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 blah. this is a very old. Did you happen to look it up to see if he'd been released? I did not. Because I have like 16 pages of stuff that's all spread right. over the floor. Right, no, no. <laughs> but no, that, I should have. That'll I didn't be an interesting But he was actually up. supposed to get out at 2011. So I had, the, the references that I used was uh, Full Wiki, Mercopedia, uh, Phoenix New Times, and Arizona Central. So AZ Central, I'm sorry, which is our local publication. So with that all that being said, and I was talking to Sergio about it, um, and he was like, really? Now, I don't know what the police force had behind it. I right. mean, they still had the jewelry. I mean, the wife swears that, well, somebody must have broke in and put it into a shoe. Now, kind of without knowing all the stuff that I gave you, could somebody have done that? I mean... Well, it's not beyond the pale because it's not like it hasn't been done before. Yeah. So, like I said, I don't know if he's innocent or not. Although, again, the sketch that was initially put out there does look like Mark Godot. He does have a history of doing vile things to women so i don't know you know what i mean i that's something that i was i kind of as i went along and along and kind of went down that rabbit hole i was just like i didn't even know what to think at this point me neither 
I don't feel like I have closure now. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine how the victims feel. The victims, girl, it's like those, it's so many years ago that, you know, even that eight-year-old little boy, he's what, 18, 20 now, probably? So sad. It's very sad. I do remember it, though. I remember it because I was, um, I was actually working in Tempe during that time. Really? Yeah. I was working at a dealership out there. So I remember paying attention to it, but it wasn't like the same, the way you pay attention to things now. Like you get alerts and stuff if you want to. Well, not only that, but we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Instagram. Well, we did, didn't we? Not in 2005. If not, I don't, I don't think so. I think we did. Or maybe uh, it was If they did, maybe MySpace. it wasn't something that was... It wasn't the was, same thing. Yeah. And if it, maybe, if it, like I said, if it was Facebook um, or MySpace or whatever the case may be... It wasn't the same format as it is now. I think it took a long time for people like, to actually be involved. Yeah. It was like Farmville and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't like you didn't have like the news feed like you have now. Yeah. You didn't get all information readily available at the palm of your hands. You actually had to sit at a desktop, open up the computer turn on the internet that made right. that weird noise for about four and a half minutes and then search out what you were looking for so um, I'm not a big um, news watcher I remember watching it for a while and it would cause me more anxiety and lord knows I didn't need anymore so um, I really just I, I like I said I remember all this going on but not feeling overly scared so now that I've made you real real sad and no closure and everything else <laughs> Well, I don't know how much better you're going to feel with my story. <laughs> that was an hour. Was it really? Yeah. Holy crap. That was a long story, and now you I can feel cut bad because I kind of... Cut off. I'll pick and choose. That's all fine. Like I said, when it comes to editing process, pick and choose what's important, what's not. <laughs> I don't care. My story is about skinwalkers. Ooh. So I always get to pick the esoteric stuff like n- n- you get the real like gory true life it's not happy at all by yeah. any means and well I, I don't know you can measure whether it's true life these things or not but mine's skinwalkers okay there's many versions of course of skinwalker lore in native america and the first uh people culture however the most predominant is that of the navajo skinwalker or I'm going to attempt this, the Yanaldushi. Sure. (laughs) You're still better. You're still better than I I don't know. We had friends that we grew up with, uh, Fernando's best friends, and they used to tell us tons of stories, and they used to call them the Yanagoshi. Okay. So Arizona or New Mexico? This is Arizona. Okay. Yanaldushi translates, by means of it, it goes on all fours. Probably in reference to the ability to change into four-legged creatures. So, what are skinwalkers? Skinwalkers are a type of Navajo witch. Okay. And not a good witch. Not Glenda the Good Witch. (laughs) I'm like, but are there? No. And and not and skinwalkers in in Navajo culture are nothing like um, Twilight. What was his name? Jake. Yeah. Nothing like Jake. Nothing. Nothing at all. He was all. a werewolf, though, wasn't he? Kind of. It was kind of like almost the same. Oh, like shapeshifters. Yeah. There you go. Sorry. That's what skinwalkers are. Okay, but not nice. But not nice. No hot bods. No. <laughs> Pretty stinky bods. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So skinwalkers are a type of Navajo witch, as mm-hmm. I was saying before, and it should be said that the Navajo Navajo are usually very tight-lipped about the Yanaloshi. 
and discussing it, especially with strangers. Um, they feel that it might invite the attention of a skill, skinwalker. Okay. And also, um, death is one of those taboo things in Navajo culture. So there's a lot of death associated with skinwalker. Okay. And you'll find out why. Specifically, the kind that shapeshift into different animal, form, animal forms in some cases can take on the shape of a human. The most common shapes are those of a coyote, a wolf, a deer... A bear or a bird. What was that? I don't know. What was it? Skinwalker? <laughs> I think it was Serena. Shifter? <laughs> don't be saying that. That's why the lights are bright today. <laughs> when I say a type of witch, in researching I found out that the Navajo or Diné view witchcraft as just another part of their spirit spirituality. Uh, they also believe that being ill or going through difficulties is a sign of someone's life in disorder. Okay. Basically not being in sync with the universe or the natural world. There are four types of natural witchcraft or adishkash. And the word witchcraft I use loosely because almost no resemblance to the idea of your, it. It doesn't resemble European witchcraft at all. Okay. So here are the four types. There's the witchery way, in which during their rituals, Navajo practitioners of witchcraft focus on corpses. Okay. And then there's the sorcery way. What do they do? Wait, wait, hold on. What do they do with the corpses? Stuff. You getting there? <laughs> I'll I'm get a little there. ahead of you. I'll get there. I'll, all right, all right, all right. I'll, I'll um, become I'm... more specific on the witchery okay. way. But then there's the sorcery way, and during these ceremonies, the victims have their personal objects or body parts, such as hair or other stuff, buried. Um, and then there's the wizardry way. This this sounds very. That's almost is that different than sorcerer? It's very different. Okay. It's different in the way they relate to okay. it. Okay. Foreign objects like poison or cursed darts are injected into the victim. Okay. Uh, and then there's the frenzy way. Charms are used that influence victims' mental or emotional states. So let's delve into the witchery way because this is um, most associated with skinwalkers. Um, the witchery way is best known form of Nat Navajo witchcraft and much like other ways it is handed down by the elders of the tribe to those who want to learn it. The witchery way is also what is said to be practiced by skinwalkers like I was saying. Um, skinwalkers are the antithesis of healers or medicine men in Navajo cut culture, and what they practice is considered a perverse form of magic. Oh, interesting. Not not the medicine men, but the skinwalkers. Okay. They're, they're bad. They're evil. No bueno. No bueno. Interestingly, traditional healers learn both the good and the evil magic, um, but it is said that some cannot handle the responsibility and they become corrupted and choose to be witches or as us Star Wars fans like to call it, they uh, go to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, yes. go to the dark side. Um, skinwalkers can be either men or women, but are typically male. And women skinwalkers are said to be typically old or childless women, which that that's very European. Okay. Because that would be a hag. Yeah. Right? I think so. I yeah. mean, usually witches are considered to be old, old older women. And, yeah, they're all of 30. <laughs> right. Because if you're 30, you're old. 
back, old in, back in the old European days. So once a bad witch chooses his way, he becomes increasingly more bad and will continue to push the boundaries and feed his selfish lust for power. Other powers that skinwalkers are said to possess, um, the ability to make people sick. Really? Yeah, from afar. Like if suddenly you have a relative that gets very ill and there's no reason behind it. Okay. Um, and then they go get a medicine man and the metal medicine man will be like, uh, you got a skinwalker problem. And then they charge them like a million dollars to get rid of the skinwalker. And so, and like some of the websites I was reading, you can tell that some people are very like jaded about it. They, they kind of feel like it's almost like a scam. Okay. Well, you know, I can totally, you know, just me being like the cynic that I usually am to begin with, I could totally see how that would be. I think that's almost in any Not saying that it's, it's not a real practice and that, that there isn't skinwalkers out there, but... You can they see also, where somebody yeah. can take advantage of this. Also, mind control. Oh. And if you accidentally lock eyes with a skinwalker, they can absorb themselves into your body and take control of your actions. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, oh, that's I don't want freaky that. to me. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Um, rare skinwalkers can also have the ability to enchant the powder of corpses and use the substance as a poison to, uh, as poison dust on victims. It's weird. Yeah. Okay, and they're also said to be able to run incredibly long distances. And a lot of the stories, like the first-hand accounts that I was reading, um, and I think I might have included one, but a lot of them have them running alongside vehicles that are going like 60 miles an hour. That's that's a trip. Yeah. That would scare the fucking bejesus out of me. I'm not even going to lie. Yeah. Like wearing an animal skin, kind of looking like an animal, but standing upright. Oh, no. With red glowing eyes. No, thank you. I'm just trying to feed you. Nightmares. I'm just saying that dogs <laughs> setting upright freak me out as it is. <laughs> people covered them. People co- or skinwalkers covered in animal fur. Ooh, I think a skinwalker may have got that one. <laughs> you can hear my daughter screaming in the background. What is she playing? She's playing uh, some video Ga- game. Uh, Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, Grand Theft Auto. Yes, ma'am. Got it girl all right so like i was saying they they're able to run incredibly long distances and some say over 200 miles in one evening wow yeah super talk about cardio like bionic right that's power people who have seen them claim they have glowing red eyes like i was saying earlier and have a horrible stench about them like yeah like like bigfoot like rotting like worse than bigfoot probably like okay so i i like I was telling you before, I came across stories of Skinwalker Ranch. Okay. In our last episode when I okay. was researching for that and it made me think of this. I didn't include any of those stories because I do want to do like a complete story of Skinwalker Ranch because like I said, that shit is nuts. Wow. There's like it's a smorgasbord of like everything. Everything. Everything, like there's everything. aliens, there's Bigfoot, there's skinwalkers, there's all kinds so of are they, shit So what are they? So are they just an investigative, paranormal investigated, like, community, um, Well, they're club? that, at one point they were, but okay. it, in the beginning it was just a ranch owned by a regular family. Okay. And they had so many things going on there that this group came in and bought out bought them out and started studying but okay. like i said and that's that, when they had renamed it at that time to skinwalker ranch i think so okay yeah it's nuts it's nuts every story i read about i was like what the hell <laughs> 
it's it's one of those stories that it's like either you're gonna be really into it and be like wow that's crazy or you're gonna be like nah mm-mm. yeah i hear you so anyways back to skinwalkers um also it said in order for a skinwalker to gain his or her full powers they must commit a culture t- cultural taboo which once they commit that it takes them completely out of society okay um, one of them is to murder a loved one, somebody that's very dear to them. That always trips me out. That almost brings you to a little bit of biblical area with Abraham. Right. So, I, uh, yeah. But this is much darker. Obviously, but yeah. yeah. But I get it. But yeah. I mean, think about that. Okay, you want, I mean, so is this an option for them or is this an uncontrollable feeling for them or? It's, it's like an initiation, to- right? This is the way they prove that they really want to become a, a skinwalker right okay so it's selfish that's it once they do it they come to their full power okay still selfish <laughs> well and that's a lot of part of it is that they say skinwalkers are very um jealous okay they see what other people want they, or see what other people have and they're like inside of them they're there's something that's this is what sends them over to the dark side okay um, is this jealous nature that they have. They're not good people. No, doesn't sound like it. To begin with, probably. <laughs> um, and the other item is perform necrophilia. Oh, ew. Yeah, which is super taboo for the Na- Navajos because they're, like, to be around a dead body or whatever, like, that's... The no-go that, for them. Yeah, no-go. So, a little bit, do you by chance know why that's so taboo for them? Is it just because it's at a spiritual thing as in they're gonna take them with them or what's the little bit of backstory in regards to why that's so taboo no that's a good question yeah i do remember remember did you ever watch wind talkers remember how he got so upset around being around like death like it like it sent him into like a A frenzy almost yeah like he like his anxiety like kicked in because he it's not something that they were ever around okay and also there's a way to kill a skinwalker okay um, it said that one way to kill a skinwalker is to s- discover its identity. It's for this very reason that skinwalkers are reputed to be extremely secretive. It is understood that when Medicine Man go- decides to become a witch, he gives up his claim as a human being. Like I was saying, it's also understood that he has chosen evil over life and is no longer protected by the laws of man and can be killed at will. Okay. So to kill a skinwalker, one must know its real name. Sounds very Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, or Rumpelstiltskin. I mean, how long do they live? Is it like generations? I know they're mysterious, but is it like, do they live a, a natural, unnaturally longer than normal people? So that way they're able to keep that identity? I don't secret, know. That or? was never mentioned in any of the... Okay. Although, the, like, I saw some stories of very old skinwalkers, okay. so I think they probably live a natural life. I don't think it, like, gives I, them power over death. Because I, I guess my thought process would be that if it's you know, Jeff and the tribe and all of a sudden he's wanting to be a skinwalker and does all the stuff that he needs to do, the whole people in that tribe are still going to know it's Jeff. I'm using that as an example. Well, I think they kind of like, they start living like hermits. Okay. They're they're pretty much living out in the wilderness and doing their whatever they do. Their evil deals? Yeah, their evil deals. Living their evil life. Whatever evil people do, getting all evilly. <laughs> <laughs> so to kill a skinwalker, uh, one must know its real name, track it back to its home, and yell the name for all to hear. 
Once this is done, the skinwalker will soon die of disease or misfortune. Huh. That's interesting. Just randomly going to people's homes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my! <laughs> yeah. She's like, I'm not a skinwalker, I'm not a skinwalker, skin jackass. <laughs> I'm still alive, bitch! <laughs> I just want to make sure. All right. So interestingly, like as I was going through these uh, different sites, um, there was a Navajo witch purge. Oh. Makes you think of Salem. Okay. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Much like Salem witch trials, the excerpts from the Arizona State University West Literary Magazine um, called Apollo Verde reads, the words Navajo witch purge might at first call to mind the similar phrase Salem witch hunt and all the lurid imagery that goes with it. A bit of investigating, however, produces a cultural and historical picture of the Navajo and their tradition of witchcraft profoundly different from anything ever imagined by those early New England Puritans. As the Salem witch trials in 17th century Massachusetts may have evolved as a societal response to the religious thinking of the day, so the Navajo witch purge of 1878 evolved as a cultural response to the effects of colonialism on the Navajo way of life. Witchcraft was always an accepted, if not widely acknowledged, part of Navajo culture, and the killing of witches was historically as much accepted among the Navajos as among Europeans. The events of 1878 were a culmination of a situation and circumstances that created the seemingly sensational out of what had been a cultural norm. So, and then this part came off of uh, another website. So, so, we're, so did these these um, witch purges or whatever the case, that happened here in Arizona? Um, like in the Four Corners area. Okay. Um, where's Fort Sumner? It's up there around there. Sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Um, so that came off of um, this website called CSI, and there was an article by Noah Nez, and this was um, also part of part of that article. Uh, this reported incident is said to come from the days of the long walk of the Navajo. Read that again. <laughs> I was like, you're speaking Nahabo. native. Make sure you cut that out. But you're like, Navajo. <laughs> <laughs> this reported incident is said to come from the days of the long walk of the Navajo. The depth. De- Deportation to Boss Gridondo Fort Sumner of the Navajo people by the U.S. government. Apparently, it was during these dire times that some Navajo people could shapeshift to escape their impoverished living conditions. In an attempt to describe some of the conditions that the Navajo people were being exposed to while at the Boss Gridondo in 1878, uh, Raymond Locke states in the book of the Navajo, the Navajo that they are, they were convinced that their gods, even the benevolent changing woman, had deserted them. Uh, some people, like Ruth Underhill, think that it was these tra- tragic events that left a void in Navajo societies and ultimately led to the d- resurgence in accusations of witchcraft. The indigenous cultural reality and the jealousy that the new rules caused, as well as unexpected sickness uh, that killed both people and livestock, 
accumulated in an age-old Navajo response, accusations of witchcraft. So that's another explanation of like the where it, where it started. Where they, which it, it kind of sounds almost. I guess here if you uh, what's the word I'm looking I can't find the words I'm looking for here. Blah, 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 tipsy tipsy tipsy. Um so <laughs> um just listening to that and parts of it saying well you know they were using that to escape their current situations it almost sounds like lore, fable and lore. Do you know what I mean which it is to an extent but it almost it's interesting I guess. Right and there's no and like as I was reading there's really no separation like with us we have that separation like there's witchcraft we can put in the back of our mind like that's just that but in reality it's entrenched into their culture yeah it's part of their culture it's it's part of who they are it's part of their everyday life um just about every navajo you meet you're probably going to get a story of a skinwalker okay so like they all they all know about this so as far as first oh before i even get into that like that was just one of the accounts of how this might have started. Okay. Um, they were also talking, one of the, um, and I didn't write it down, but one of the websites talked about the fact that the Navajo used to, and in different tribes around that area, actually the Navajo, I think it was, uh, the Skinwalker had like a purpose. They used to go and spy on other Indian Enemies. tribes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they became jealous of what... Other tribes or... Yeah, of other people. And it kind of twisted what they were. Okay. So that's another explanation that was out there. Anyways, um, I'm just going to get into first-hand accounts. Okay. Uh, Story one, I pulled off of a website called Your Ghost Stories. Okay. And I thought this one was interesting. It wasn't an actual ghost story that was like featured, but it was like in the comment section and I just had to use it. She starts out, anyways, my grandpa tells me the history of the skinwalkers. He says that the Navajos would choose their best warriors to spy on other tribes. This is what I was talking about. Okay. Uh, Apache, Hopi, etc. The warriors would be spying to figure out when to raid enemies or find out what they could steal or to see if anyone planned on attacking them. Stealing wasn't considered a crime because it was a rite of passage for men and a way for them to share the wealth. The warriors would wear face paint, the colors black, red, white, to represent what they were. The red paint would cover from the eyebrows and up, and also the entire body except for the face. The black was around the eyes to the bottom of the nose, and white from the nose to the chin. They would have coyote pelt with the ears attached tied around their body with the yucca. They would wear a pelt to cover their private areas. Yucca would be used to attach the mouth to the coyote ears, so when the mouth moved a certain way, the ears would move like a real coyote's ears. Oh, wow. Their arms would be bent and tied, so they walked on their elbows to look more like coyotes. They chose to look like coyotes because it was the closest resemblance to the humans. So they... I don't get that reference. I was like, huh? <laughs> huh? <laughs> know what kind of coyotes it had in those days maybe their mannerisms i have no idea so they wouldn't get caught (laughs) no (laughs) anyway so they wouldn't get caught spying at night the warriors would dress up and head to their enemy's village to gather information then head home Um, traditionally the skinwalkers were used against other tribes but over time and and billaganas um which is a white man attempt to get 
natives to fight each other cause people to use skinwalkers against each other. Jealousy, corruption, and confusion has caused Navajos to attack other Navajos. And she got this this story from her grandfather. Okay. Um, My grandpa experienced it himself. When he was around 10 years old, he was the only one of the, in the Hogan with his six younger siblings. It was late at night when they heard someone walking around the Hogan. It started off quietly, then the steps grew louder and louder until it went dead silent. My grandpa was scared, but hid it from the family. They sat in the middle of the Hogan, huddled together, scared to make a noise because it might bring them bring it back. A half an hour later, they start to hear footsteps again. Slowly making its way towards the door, they heard a thud on top of the Hogan. The thing was walking on top of the Hogan, towards the middle of the stovepipe. My grandpa ran to get the bow and arrow hanging on top of the door, doorway and headed for the stove. He opened the hatch and looked up. He saw a man with his face painted wearing a coyote skin and arms tied with yucca. It was taught by his father how to recognize a skinwalker and how to kill it. He then dipped with four arrows he had in ash and started to shoot at the arrow. His last arrow shot the creature on the side of his body and all they heard next was a skinwalker falling off the roof to the floor. They didn't look outside but my grandpa knew it was dying. Instead, they went to sleep huddled together. I don't even know how they went to sleep. Yeah, same. Says the next afternoon his dad came back and told grandpa told my grandpa one of his uncles had passed away from a wound on his side oh my grandpa knows it was his uncle who was trying to attack them i believe there are skinwalkers and ghosts and other supernatural beings but i don't mess with them i wish more navajo elders would share their stories and experiences because how else can the new generations protect themselves knowledge is power and right now the young are powerless uh p.s the arrows were arrows were dipped in ash because ashes drive evil spirits away, and bow and arrows are the only weapon that can truly kill a skinwalker. Wow. And it's kind of interesting that he says that, because not for any other reason, but I think because we all are in this new um, system. I don't don't even think it's in the right word. Just the new way of living, I guess, more modernly and everything like that, that I think we tend to forget some of our backgrounds, such as, like, for us, for instance, like Mexican cooking. I remember thinking um, growing up at some point, and not, remember, no, remember thinking at some point, um, after you you're Americanized and, and so on and so forth, um, thinking how much I really do appreciate our culture and wanting to go back and, and learn how to cook those type of foods or whatever the case may be. So I, I kind of, I mean, the whole story is great and I, they, it's very interesting, but I just felt like him saying that you need to teach these things to your children, even if they think of it as say nonsense which i don't think they will but i just think it's always interesting to be able to pass on those stories i always find that pretty amazing yeah yeah and i think it was a woman that told the story because i cut out some pieces of the story um but she like made it pretty clear in her story that she was educated and her grandfather wasn't educated they were like both college educated oh so the grandfather was educated oh wow yeah and he i guess he held a pretty high position um in the navajo nation as well so wow yeah um story number two um this one is i kind of put that other one on top because it was harder to find stories that were actually native okay 
from a native viewpoint because a lot of the stories I saw out there were um, more Anglo. Okay. Um, not not to give them any less credibility, but I wanted some more um, actual from native the stories. Mouth. Yeah. So this one, it doesn't give a name. Uh, she says, I decided to join my bestie Karen for a three-day stay at her grandmother's place on the res. Her grandmother lives near a place called Tuba City, Arizona, in the middle of nowhere but surrounded by rural homes. We go to college together, and I was kind of interested to know about Navajo tradition. The first day we stayed, it was pretty chill, nothing out of the ordinary. But then her grandma, not that old, around 67, oh, God bless her heart, right? <laughs> <laughs> said that a stray dog came out of nowhere and would, wouldn't leave. To me, it did, not, it did act kind of strange and ugly looking. Black shaggy coat looked like a mix between a German shepherd and a lamb. Lab. That night, we were watching a movie in the living room, had a big window that looked out into the front where the cars were parked, nothing fancy, with the curtains wide open. The grandma was in the kitchen cooking dinner, and we were watching a movie. Next to the window is a medium bookshelf where the DVDs are kept. Well, I wonder how there old this story is. <laughs> <laughs> the 90s? Early 2000s? Okay. Oh, wait. DVDs. What am I thinking? I'm thinking VHS. Never mind. That's still a long time ago, though. How long have we been digital at this point? I have I have DVDs still. Oh, I do too, but they're old. <laughs> <laughs> We've been able to stream for a while, Alma. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Karen went to put back a DVD. We had just watched, but she freaked out because that stray black dog was staring at us through the window, standing on top of the wood box outside. Not something normal dogs do from my point of view or hers. I don't know. My dogs do weird shit. I hear you. They scare me. It's all right. (laughs) Chase me out your house. Right? You're knocking on windows, trying to get back in. Usually, my dog, which is a house dog, scratches the door to be let in. Res dogs aren't house dogs. And dogs inside houses are frowned upon in Navajo tradition. meant Meant to protect the house and owner. The other dogs seemed to stay away from it. Karen opened the door and yelled at it to get off the box. It ran off behind the shed. We went to Tuba City to get some groceries. Came back to the house. The dog was nowhere to be seen. Nothing unusual. Grandma went to visit some people, so it was just Karen and I. About 5 o'clock, we heard someone trying to open the door. Both of us looked out, since there had been no car heard and no dogs barking. Looked out the living room window to the door. There was this dog trying to get open the door with its paws. Huh. Two paws wrapped around the brass doorknob, standing on its hind legs. Oh, no. (laughs) No, thank you. Okay. Yeah, that's a little weird. As your dog (laughs) barks in cue. (laughs) This story gets more strange. Okay. I thought that was weird, but wasn't really freaked out. Karen, she opened the door and chased it off. Fucking Karen. Right? I'm just like, you <laughs> open the door? the damn door closed. <laughs> Girl, you can't just Wait till Grandma bee. gets home. Lock the door. <laughs> okay. Grandma's badass. Wait till the okay. story. Grandma came back later and Karen told her Grandma didn't like what she heard, got ready to sleep. We slept in the spare bedroom since it had two beds, one window with curtains open a little. We turned off the light, but there was a sound coming from on the top of the roof. God damn it. Damn pitter-patter footsteps and scratching sounds and panting. It then sounded like it jumped off onto the larger plastic water barrel they had. At first, we heard what sounded like barking, but as it grew louder, the dog the dog seemed to be barking at something also. But all of a sudden, something was running around the house, barking, and it was no dog. Nope, it wasn't. 
This dog sounded human. A deep male voice barking like it knew that we knew it wasn't a dog. Oh my God. It literally was like, woof, woof, oh, rough, rough, arf, arf, arf. No. Just exactly like that. No, 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 no. Adding the W's, the R's, and the A's. Oh, no. Then panting again by the window, and we started freaking out. Hell no. I'd be like, this is what happens when I leave my house. I gotta go home. (laughs) Take your woof woof somewhere else. Just imagine we're in a cabin. No, girl. This dog creature is at the window saying, I want to imagine that. Woof. Well, first of all, it'd be one of our drunk husbands or Mark. (laughs) They'd open the door. (laughs) I would sit there and lock the door. (laughs) Leave a watch. I'd look for joint. (laughs) (laughs) Be like, this is not happening. (laughs) Puff, puff. Pass. Things that we do when we're camping. No thanks. (laughs) That I do. Anyways. Then, okay, Karen decided to, in my opinion, it was stupid, open the curtains to look out there. The hell, girl? I'm like, haven't you ever seen a scary movie? You know, you know what's gonna, I know what's gonna happen, watch it. Go ahead and keep it. <laughs> and Karen wasn't the white one. <laughs> the, the Caucasian girl's like, girl. She's like, girl, no. I have seen this movie. What the I fuck are you doing? I am not that girl. <laughs> All right. So she decides to look out the window and there was a stray dog on its hind leg looking into our bedroom. I thought you were going to say a man. I was like, that would have scared the bejesus out of me. Karen, who's Karen? Oh, sorry. Karen's the... Karen's the friend. It's her grandmother's house. Okay. Yeah, they never say the other girl's name. Oh, that other girl, I gotta tell you, she was probably like... What am I doing here? She'd be like, you a bunch of I wanna go back home. Stop. Why am I on the res? Stop opening the door. Stop (laughs) opening the windows. (laughs) No. 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 Can I come Wait for daylight. She's like calling her mom. Mom, come get me up. Shoot. (laughs) That's what I'd be doing. Huh. Do you know our mama's mean? Right. (laughs) I call my mama. Mom, there's this dog creature. She's like, just kick him. Just kick him. Woof. Woof. I told you I didn't want you spending the night at people's houses. (laughs) That's my mom. I'm sorry. My dad was like, don't they have their own house? (laughs) Always. Every time somebody was at the house. My mom was mean. She just like, my grandmother, because I lived with my grandmother for a while, and she'd be like, they, don't they have that's exactly like their dad don't they have their own house yeah. I'm like none of my friends and he ever would, felt he would literally like say that to them don't your parents want you home <laughs> sounds like don't you dad. have a house because <laughs> they were always at our house our house was the house my house is definitely not the house I was for a little bit but no, I'm kind of grouchy it, it would it would be the house until my dad would roll up in his big green <laughs> Ford Girl, I was your dad rolling up <laughs> <laughs> Throwing stuff angrily. We'd, we'd immediately start cleaning in a frenzy. Yeah. So. Curtains open. Curtains open. But this time it stunk. Huh. And what I thought were two black holes in the neck, another pair of eyes twinkled. <gasps> oh my God. No. Think of those ugly, glossy spider eyes staring no. at you. And the paws were deformed, looking like hands overgrown, somewhat thick, and sharp fingernails. No. Oh my 
no. I'm like, call the police, girl. Call the police. <laughs> call Gandalf. <laughs> call someone. You shall not pass. I'd be like, girl, I hope you have you a gun, attic, knives, something. Well, mm. Grandma. Call Ooh. Grandma. Listen. Okay. Well, you know, so, grandmas are badasses, so I'm just saying. This grandma's badass. Again, both screaming and shutting the curtains closed, Grandma came running through the door and seeing it this time first thing she did was grab ashes from the fireplace load, Damn. load three shells into a shot come from under her bed <laughs> bless herself in navajo and went outside to shoot it yelling blessed in navajo blessed herself in navajo she blessed herself in navajo and I, like real quick in succession like i could just yelling in navajo about how the thing wasn't welcome there and to get the hell out of there and for it to linger somewhere else Damn. And she's like, with her shotgun. And they're like, you win. <laughs> Up the ass. <laughs> Damn, I'm not going to be like, hit his leg. She's like, go up the ass. <laughs> oh my God. It's so t- Damn, that girl was mean. <laughs> It didn't say that. I just made this shit. <laughs> okay. Them both being traditional, um, the next day they called a medicine man to come over and put cedar in. He prayed over everyone with cedar, smoke, and an eagle feather, blessed the place, made us eat bitter herbs called eagle's gull or something, and gave me an arrowhead. Apparently, I needed to carry one for protection. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, put some ashes in there, I'd and I'll like, take that shotgun from you. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'll take the shotgun. I'll, no, no, I'll go ahead and take that. Yeah. And what's that blessing? It's not, can I say that again? Can you say that again? <laughs> what's this? Blessing? Exactly. <laughs> you do yours, I'll do you. Do you, you do the mine. We'll be both blessed all over the place. <laughs> oh, my God. So, apparently, I needed to carry one for protection and a little pouch called corn pollen. Seems to work pretty well. Interesting. Yeah. What the hell's corn pollen? Uh, I have no pollen idea. Pollen from a corn? You're like, I thought it was self-explanatory maybe? Corn pollen. Pollen corn. Sure. Pollen from a corn. There you go. From the corn flower. <laughs> Do corns have flowers? I have no, I idea. no idea. I'm just making shit up. Sunflower? <laughs> it's the oil from a sunflower. I like to make shit up. Right. Anyways, the medicine man said that the dog was a skinwalker. No, duh. Which in Navajo is a long word. But I'll call them Yoshis. Of Ooh. course you will. <laughs> the body of a stray dog, which was killed by the skinwalker, made an illusion so we wouldn't know it wasn't a real dog until it started saying woof. 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 And it had a second Life pair of eyes in its neck. <laughs> no, thank you. Sir, please, you're drunk. Go to the next house over. <laughs> We don't have any milk. <laughs> I don't have any apple. <laughs> I don't even have Purina. No, I have none of that. I am hungry too. <laughs> so that's the second time Ash was used in the story. That's interesting. Yeah. So now we know next time we're up north. Take Ash. Not ass, Ash. <laughs> Apparently, I have plenty of that. Yeah, I'm like, but our asses kind of comes with us, buddy. Hey. Our badonkadonks. Badonkadonks. 
He also said that the Yoshis tend to harm people by using some sort of human bone straw to spit at someone, think spitball is only deadlier, and get human bones into them. Doctors can't detect it, but the medicine man that day pulled a piece of human skull out of grandma's right shoulder. What the fuck? What the hell, really? Pretty big, about two inches long, and one centimeter thick. It was real because we watched him pull it out of her. That was intense. Ugh. And grandma's a gangster that way. She's just like, oh, I didn't even see that there. I She's all know. brushing I... her shoulder off. <laughs> like, damn. She's a grandma I want to have around right? in that situation. Saying, Dude, my grandma was like that. She was rough. Mm-hmm. I remember her machete. Yeah, machete. Her, Some guy tried to come into her house. She done kicked him out, hit him. I'm like, you like 80 something. She's like, I don't give a F. She's like, I am? <laughs> I don't think so. Nobody she told me that. No. Nope. All right. And then story number three, because I know we're moving on here in time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> time keeps on moving, Damn. moving, moving. Anyways, to the future. future. There you go. <laughs> There's our debut. All right. First hand story. It. This one's from, this was actually off of the same website, Your Ghost Stories. Um, okay. And this one was actually the story that I got that first story from. Okay. Um, where I told you I got it out of the comments section. All right. So this is from Tracker337. And I'm just um, giving him his credit because he put it on there. Okay. Um, it was a long story. I cut it a little bit. As a teenager, I would visit my grandma at her home on the Navajo Res for several weeks every summer. I loved to spend time with her, eat her delicious fried bread. Yay, fried bread! Oh, girl, shoot. That was the best uh, fried honey, bread today. And some sugar. Yeah, that was real good, but I'm going to have, have you make me another one. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you one I to need go. honey and sugar and... We're almost out of wine, girl. And, t- and tomorrow's the diet. I have more sure? wine. But I still have some here. here. I'm surprised. I know, girl. That bouvray last week. Oh, my God. That's a- <laughs> What's the alcohol content on this? 13.5. What was the bouvray? 13.5? <laughs> I don't remember. I felt like it was stronger. Because I was really... No, girl. It's because it was really good. And you're like... Because I don't drink as much. And, and also, I didn't eat. That too. Sure. We didn't eat that day. I don't think so. We didn't have no fry bread. No fry bread. As a teenager, I would visit my grandma at her home on the Navajo Res for several weeks every summer. I love to spend time with her, eat her delicious fry bread, and hear her tell us sto- her, her stories. Every so often, my grandma would hire a worker, the harmless town drunk, to do odd jobs around her house and the property. Sounds like cashing. probably not far off (laughs) seriously one evening right before the sun went down I was asked by my grandma to take him home which was about 4 miles out of the valley where she lived I was more than happy too seeing that I was only 14 years old and I was asked to drive a truck see just like Cashin there you go mind you (laughs) that on the res nobody cares that you're only 14 years old driving around (laughs) How there's hardly anybody around to see you anyway, just like Cashin. (laughs) I heard your stories. (laughs) So my nine-year-old brother jumped in the truck cab with me while his worker, while this worker and my dog shared the tailgate of the truck and we were off. After I dropped the worker off at the shack that he and his brothers called a house, just like Cashin. (laughs) Hey, hey, I didn't live in a shack. No. 
Okay. I just had to go there. I know you did. (laughs) (laughs) As I mentioned before, it was evening and the sky was a deep red as the sun began to set behind us. We were leaving a nice dust trail from the dirt road and the radio was playing music from the only radio station that we could pick up from the nearest town of Holbrook, Arizona. Shout out to Holbrook. Holbrook. There was nothing unusual, nothing weird. It was at this time that my eye caught movement of something in the bushes a little up the road to the right of us. I remember slowing down thinking that it was one of my one of many free roaming sheep in the area that would dart in front of a truck. As I passed where I thought I saw it, I sped up thinking nothing else of it. Then, out of nowhere, I just felt this dark feeling of fear and dread. That's never good. No, and a lot of the stories that I read, because I was trying to pick stories to put on here, okay. a lot of them share that same experience of like just being overcome with something like, you don't know what it is. You just all of a sudden this panicky, awful, evil, yucky, icky I think feeling. everybody at some point in time feels that kind of like overwhelming, like something's not right. Yeah, but in this situation, like skinwalkers, whenever they're around, okay. it seems like this seems to be the pro- predominant feeling. Okay. <laughs> I had no idea why I was feeling this way, but I definitely felt that something was wrong. As I play this memory back in my mind, there are only a few clear memories that I have of that evening. I clearly remember looking in my rearview mirror and seeing the dark silhouette of something very tall, very skinny, that seemed to be covered with some kind of hair or fur running behind the truck after us. Whatever it was, it wasn't normal. It wasn't a normal human or a human at all. I remember hearing my brother crying and my dog barking ferociously at whatever was chasing us. I remember speeding very fast and shaking violently as the truck bounced on the washboard dirt road. Oh my god, that brings memories. No doubt. (laughs) Too soon. Too soon! (laughs) I distinctly remember that this thing was only getting closer as my brother cried. It's coming up up on your side. I remember being as scared as hell and thinking that I didn't want to die. At the moment when I thought it would be our last, I remember speeding around the bend in the road and seeing a car coming towards us in the opposite direction. At that moment, I felt instant relief and felt that whatever was following us was gone. Shaken up, but alive, we made it to Grandma's house. Like Red Riding right. <laughs> Little Red Riding Hood. There you go. We made it to Grandma's house, wondering... Oh, there's a lot of grandmas in these stories. Um, wondering what the hell we had just... What had just happened? We ran inside, not looking back, hoping whatever it was chasing us had not followed us home. As we told my grandma about our experience, she didn't seem too surprised, which surprised us. She continued repeating stories that we had already heard at one point or another about black magic, witches, and something that the Navajos called the Yenilushi, or Yenilgoshi, whatever, I can't, I don't know, or skinwalkers. Needless to say, I didn't even want to look out any of the windows at for the rest of the night as a matter of fact i never drove on the reservation at night until i was 21 years old (laughs) (laughs) he'd be like i'm still too young (laughs) that scared the shit out of him but that one scared the hell out of me though i mean you can you imagine middle of nowhere you're looking at the window i'm like what you looking at the window what's up there i was looking at that to make sure it was still recording (laughs) (laughs) you scared me right now Now you sound like me. me? What's behind me? Yeah, girl, that was scared. I mean, there's like, 
all kinds of just different stories, just unexplained stories. That would freak me out, though. So, and I think that's a big thing, like woods or being out in the middle of nowhere. You just don't know what's lurking out there. So remember I was telling you that story last week about yeah. um, my cousin and my brother and my other cousin driving down the road. Right. And that thing that... You weren't too sure what it was, but yeah. it was tall. Yeah. yeah. Um, some of the stories that I read had that same characteristic of the inverted knees. Ooh. Ooh, that's no bueno. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. So, yeah. It made me... Because I, I was actually researching this story okay. right before last week when we were doing our story. And it made me think of... I was like, oh, my God. Like, I texted my cousin. And I was like, um... And I recounted what I was reading. And he's like, see, I'm not crazy. <laughs> You guys are calling me names. I'm not crazy. See, this happens for reals. <laughs> oh my god, girl! One of the stories that was dying because you were like talking about the um, the footprints on the seal on top of the roof. Right. And it just reminded me of the st- story I told the first oh, episode about my yeah, uncle being on the roof at your house. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember that story. I had to sit there and kind of snicker a little bit because I'm like, even though it was scary, scary story, I was just like. <laughs> feet on roof <laughs> like I was saying I, I remember being kids and we would with uh, my brother's friends we would like sit here you know trying to one-up each other with stories and of course we had our Yorona stories and they're like oh yeah well yeah. try this and, yeah no I was like I never wanted to run across one of those things no. and I remember like because we used to drop drive back and forth to um, Albuquerque because we have family over there and as we're going through that Four Corners area just looking out the window like <laughs> what, what do we see no i hear you girl i heard there's a lot of things there's a lot of just land out there that there's just nothing yeah nothing it, nothing but sheep <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i'm saying i'm like there's nothing out there have you ever made the drive no <laughs> but that's what i heard a lot of brush yeah girl i just think any desolate land sort of desert even driving around especially in Arizona because even though we have a lot of Phoenix we do have you go half hour anywhere pretty much out of Phoenix you're going to hit some sort of country town desolate area whatever the case may be and the the thing is that there's these skinwalker stories um, across uh, anywhere you find Native American culture like it's just pretty much North America South America even in Canada but um, these skinwalker stories are like pretty much like the Yenogoshi. Okay. I know I'm saying that really bad, but <laughs> I'm trying. I hear you, girl. I hear you. They're, yeah. They're prevalent. They're out Very there. Very prevalent. It's probably more sightings than what people think because you're oh, not yeah. as well known well, as, as, say, like, like for instance, the Sasquatch, like we right. did last time. So wow. you can discount them all you want, but there's so many people out there that have seen them, have some sort of experience with them, not just, like, there was even some um, actual, like, state troopers. That have seen them? Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, like I said, every like they said, the Native American people are indigenous here. They have their beliefs, they have their way of their culture and their way of living. So I mean, I could definitely understand how that would be something very mysterious. How that would be something that would still be going on today, right? Um, just because, again, they you know they have their their culture. They have their I don't even know how to explain it anymore, but <laughs> I had a thought. I lost it. But um, but I could just see how that would still be happening, I guess, because as it's as it's transition from generation to generation, and those stories are told over and over again, and there are those people who are gonna keep up those traditions or just those thought processes or anything. Right. So I put that on our Facebook. Okay. The message out, um, 
asking anybody to send us some of their personal stories. Okay. I kind of wish that I had put something out about skinwalkers, but, you know, we don't tell each other the stories that we yeah, do. Yeah, so, so that would we kind can of, kind of be a little bit surprised yeah, when we actually... so I didn't want to, I didn't want to um, circumvent that in Because I think way. the one in the first, we were doing our first podcast, we actually were almost going to do the same story. Right. It was like, almost, and I'm like, I'll stick to my genre. <laughs> That way they don't cross the line. Okay, so I have to tell you that I made a mistake and How's I that? told my mom. <gasps> Ooh, what'd your mom I, say? It just came up because yesterday I was like, I was doing some stuff online and I was actually preparing for this and my mom called and we're having a conversation. She says, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, like you, you guys are busy. And I was telling her, you know, everything's going on with the business, with my day job. Yeah. And then this. I was like, and... Vet and I are doing a podcast, and she's like, oh, what's a podcast? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, that's so, I get that from a lot of people. Right? You think in this I know, and age, I'm just like, that's all I listen to. I barely even listening to the radio anymore. You know what? I just, I got more in a podcast as, you know, like the p- political climate that we're in. I was listening to the news a lot, and it just got to be too much for me. Yeah, like, it's I agree. Like, it, I had to just start listening to something It's else. an escape, because you listen to a lot of different things. There's tons of categories. There's thousands of different podcasts out there nowadays that if you feel like you want to be in a funny mood or you just want to learn a tidbit of information there's everything out there's everything out there for somebody and I've binged on so many like one of my favorites right now is wine and crime (laughs) (laughs) see girl my favorite is my favorite murder I mean I will I will not miss one of them they have me dying cracking up laughing and they're actually very just some of the stuff that they talk about sometimes tends to hit home at the exact right time right Well, speaking of podcasts, okay, I don't know if I should let you read this. Okay, <laughs> all right. So you I, got I put first, the call out for a story, and we did get um, a personal um, paranormal story from I. I can't even say one of our listeners yet because we haven't even put this out. <laughs> um, Lord help us, but, when but, we do. <laughs> but he is a good friend of ours. Yes, and he has his own podcast, uh, My Celluloid Heart. And then he also has his other podcast, which is, this is, a, it's funny, kind of a funny story. My no, apologies. It's, it's kind of a funny podcast. Sure. Yeah. Anyways, I'm going to read. This okay. is from Philip. Um, Dear Yvette Noma, one time when I was like 13 or 14, I was sleeping in my grandparents' front room on the couch. Well, at about three in the morning, I woke up to see what looked like a two-year-old baby with black hair and maybe black eyes standing in my grandma's lazy boy looking at me. Okay. The lazy boy had turned to where it was facing the couch, instead facing in the direction of the TV, which was on the other side of the room from the couch. This lazy boy was right next to the couch. I rubbed my eyes and looked again, but the baby was still there, just looking at me. I then stood up and took three steps to my grandma's chair and put my hands back and forth through it. There seemed to be nothing there. I then laid back down on the couch and looked, and the baby was still there. I then got up and turned the chair away from me. I then rolled over and went back to bed. (laughs) Of course, why wouldn't you? (laughs) It's fine. Baby's not gonna go in and attack you as soon as you turn around. Of course, my my tactic would be to lay there with my eyes wide open for the rest of the night. (laughs) Also, to turn on the light. I just go sleep with my grandma. <laughs> I'm not. I didn't have lie. that option. <laughs> I wouldn't have cared. <laughs> like I'm getting in bed with you, right? Pretty by much. Your I'm like, there's feet. always room for Yvette. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry that that didn't have a climactic ending, but I don't. 
I don't know what I saw. Was it a dead baby ghost trying to reach out for help? Was it an alien being trying to talk to me? Or was it a dead victim of Michael Jackson that was sent to scare me because I had a bootleg of the Thriller album? <laughs> Let's go with Michael Jackson. We're going to go with that last one. Although it was probably a dog. <laughs> it was Who, the way that light was shining on that one Thriller record that made it look beady eye. Who knows? He says, who knows? White boy problems, right? Yeah, white boy, you went right back to bed. <laughs> Turn around! Don't you, haven't you seen scary movies before? You don't. You turn don't turn back. around. Never, you don't, you don't close your eyes. Anyways, he says, "I hope this helps you, ladies, out." Okay, I'm. I'm, <laughs> I'm just gonna cut off the rest. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, Philip, for writing. Thank and you, I appreciate Philip. It. We love you. So that makes me laugh, though. <laughs> so that was. That was our stories for tonight. Definitely, definitely. Uh, if you, anybody else has any stories they want to send our way, feel free to send them to tipsy underscore tales at yahoo.com. You got it. Or you Yay. can send them to, a, just just send them to our email because it'll be email, easier. Email, Instagram, however you want to do it, that's perfectly fine. Okay. Hey, All right, guys. Folks. <laughs> Good night. Bye. Bye.